can ask the question. Sure, maybe. Maybe I can answer them. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'll have to do some looking. Okay. Uh, well, just for this particular tape, we're talking with Mr. Ralph Perdue and his grandson in, uh, at their home in Fairbanks, and it's August 30th, 1989. And um, Mr. Perdue is one of the founders of the Fairbanks Native Association. And um, you were president of Tanana Chiefs at one point, too, right? And yeah, I was uh, pre president. Uh, I'm not sure, you're around 63, starting 63 for eight years. Mm -hmm. Until okay. I, you know, I quit. Um, reasons for business. In those days, we were a chief, we were elected chief, uh, a traditional chief. There no pay involved. Uh, all things considered, uh, you were elected, you were to serve the people in this type of. Uh, uh, ruling. Uh, so, so after six or eight years, I had to get out to attend to my business, which was financing you know, all these native causes. Uh, and there were some, but the final conclusion I can think is that it was mostly between whites and Indians because of misunderstanding. One didn't understand the other, and, and neither one of them sat down to. I was raised by white people, and the first ten years of my life, I lived out there on the Kaifuk River with my parents. You know, so I knew that part of the life. It was a good life. And then you came in and went to school in Fairbanks then? Uh, yeah, in 1942. Uh, I went with the Purdue's, the white people that were traders in Galena, and uh, I worked for them after school, like a box boy type, and cutting wood and so forth. And then they, well, he was draft age, 39, so he had to sell, and they wanted to take me and my little brother, Leo, but uh, dad wouldn't let both go, so I, I chose to go to get a better education. Like my father told me, she, you go with them, I can't afford it. If you want to, yeah, you're ready. I think I was 10 years old. Now, had you been going to school in the village up to that point? or Off and work? on. When Dad decided to go up uh, out on the trap line, that's where we went. Uh, we got books from Dick and Jane books. Uh, take along, we read those. Learned to say the ABCs from my, from my foster um, stepmother. Uh, and so, then when you were ten, then you came into the school system here in Fairbanks, or is that where the well, producers? Yeah, I yeah. Uh, they when when you left, I came. That was in December, and we went through here, and they were going out on vacation. My my foster parents, mm -hmm. new adopted parents. They were going to travel for a while, and uh, they, they didn't uh, think I should be out of school. So I, I was dropped off in Skagway uh, Catholic Mission. And I, stayed, I went to school there for a year and a half. And then I came back here, and, uh, and then uh, we went over to Kotzebue Sound, lived over there while he was working for a mining company. And 
I went to school, territorial school, over there. Very, very good school. Excellent school. It's uh, the type of school teacher who was dedicated that gave you the uh, basic learning, uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic, enunciate, pronunciate, and emphasis on the right syllable and all this jazz. And <laughs> she was very strict. Uh, and I, I and she and most of the kids that children that live in Kotzebue that went to school there uh, speak very very well you know, good English. Because of uh, that. But that was a territorial school. Mm -hmm. Then we came back over here in nineteen forty five and so I've been living here since then. So then, you were here for high school and yeah, part of grade school and high school. Graduated from Fairbanks High School and here in, in, in 1951. Right now, what was it uh, like growing up in Fairbanks? Uh, did, was the native community? There was uh, no native community. I think I was I was the only native. Uh, fact, I was the only native kid that was going to the school. Oh, no. school system here. There were right. no natives living Well, there must have been other native families living in Fairbanks, right? Huh? There was a few, uh, but they didn't have any children. Most mm -hmm. of them were working at the Eskimo village at the railroad yard. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, most of them were, some of them came from the Wiseman, but eventually, after I came, uh, the, you know, the native children started Hagberg's came in, they went to school here. Trying uh, to think who's... <clears throat> oh, Naughties. Emil Naughty. Uh, not Emil. Oh, Fred? His Fred. He right. went to school here. Because I know Emil went to Edgecombe, I think. Yeah, he went to Edgecombe. And, but anyway... We, well, there was some prejudice uh, as far as, like say, but I know that, you know, it existed, but uh, I heard about it. Uh, the Native people were marrying white girls at university and have to move out because of, you know, the, pre the prejudice. Uh, uh, I, I met some of them since then. Did, uh, was it like... Uh, as bad as it was in Juneau in those days, I mean, where there was I didn't think places so. where they wouldn't serve you and things like that. Uh, no, I didn't think so. There was one time they wouldn't serve you, but then you know, in a bar, mm -hmm. uh, was it because you either already inebriated uh, and noisy? But I know my stepfather was, I mean, foster father was a, was a bartender. Mm -hmm. Hey. Uh, and uh, he didn't have any animosity against him. Their money was just as good as anybody else, so you know he waited on them. Well, if he got they got out of hand, I spoke. Well, just like anybody else, there's the door. So. But uh, there were some even in the in the school system. Uh, I'm not going to mention prominent you know, person. Uh, when I entered school in the system, why, uh, 
the prominent person, representative, within, anyway, my foster parents, my mother especially, on Eagles Elks Club, I guess, got it, they got into and she told me, oh, that kid's got more brains than you and all the, most of these kids that are here. I mean, meaning me, right. you know, that, you know, she, uh, he needs the opportunity, and people like you uh, I'm paying taxes, you're paying taxes, and uh, they, they need just as much opportunity as your children have. <laughs> but, but that was pretty uh, much the only real problem that you had? Yeah, well, yeah, they wouldn't let me swim in the swimming pool, because I was an ape. The guy wouldn't admit it. Mm -hmm. My foster, my dad, I, my pop, he, uh, I went and borrowed 50 cents and I was with you know, a group of boys. We, just like a small community, there's always boys hanging around with each other and I was in with the, the O'Leary's and a and, uh, few other you know, families. We all palled around together, Pete Burnett, you know, Anyway, they, they were going swimming, so I just, well, I'm, so I stopped and got 50 cents, and I, I wouldn't, they wouldn't let me in. So I went back to the bar and threw the 50 cents on the, on the bar, and my dad said, what's the matter? Well, he said, I don't know if it's true or not, he said, they wouldn't let me swim in there. But the boys said they won't let me swim because I, I'm an alien. Well, dad's... R.K. Lavery owned the bar then. He told Dad, say, do uh, you mind taking over for an hour? Just give me the afternoon off. Or but the boy's got a little problem. I want to take care of it. R.K. says, hey, the hell are we paying taxes for? Well, take care of it. I'll uh, take care of the bar for you. Went down to Ernie, fin Ernie Findler, owned the swimming pool. And he knew that, he said, I didn't, he says, what's this, my boy can't swim in here because he's an, an Indian. He says, I didn't know that. He says, well, what difference does it make? Whether you knew it or not, whether it's my boy or anybody else's boy. This is a public swimming pool. You pay to get in here, you swim in here. He says, we just, we, we just won a, a world war fighting over this goddamn shit. We pay the taxes and we risk our life, and uh, and you're still, you know, practicing prejudice. Well, that ended that, after that, why, uh, you know, it opened up their name. So there weren't very many boys, you know, kids. But, I mean, there was uh, small instances like that, that uh, I don't remember, uh, you know, places being close to natives, I suppose, during my father's time, maybe, but uh, I know that in Tannenau, I heard that they wouldn't uh, allow uh, you know, Indians to go into the bar in Tannenau. At the time, Tannenau had bars, or the liquor store, I guess. They had, of course, the bar had the liquor store and the bar. These old people say, <laughs> laugh at me when they find out who my father was. <laughs> Because he was half breed and he was had hazel blue eyes, sort of blue eyes, but kind of hazel. 
It worked on the steamboat, steamer Ninana. You get the deckhand. Indians working on there would you know, in come into town that way. They go down the beach and they go down and buy it. They had a suit, dress him up, white shirt, tie. He would go in the bar and have a few drinks and buy a bottle and go <laughs> buy all the booze he wants for the Indian <laughs> Down there, they sit down there and have a ball, I guess. <laughs> now, your real dad then grew up on the river then? Is that yeah, he's uh, born and raised in kind of the New Lado. Mm -hmm. My mother is from Kaiko. Mm -hmm. She's a uh, Kaiko uh, Indian. My dad is a uh, New Lado uh, Indian. Uh, the only true New Lado people left. The, the Crisco family and the Damascus family, the rest of the Nulato people were wiped out in 1851. Right. Right. And the others came from what's living there, you know, from Caillou Flats or downriver someplace else. Well now, after you got out of high school, obviously you at some point went in and started your own business. Like that was well, no, I, uh, I, I, I'd been working in a jewelry store. You know. Doing school, uh, on the job training uh, after you know, after school. But, uh, then I, you know, after graduation, I worked in a jewelry store. But then you know we had the Korean conflict and draft was a draft and you know, a draft age. You know, I put my name, I'm eligible for draft whenever, as soon as possible. So I went to the service in 51 October and spent my two years as company clerk out here at Ladfield. Oh, so you, Fort Wainwright. You never got out of Alaska? No, they, they <laughs> would. You can put in for it, and you know, some did you know, go, but most of the Native people that were, you know, drafted up here, or you know, whites who wouldn't let them out because they needed them up here for training, cold weather training, to, uh, for the new recruits and so forth. Uh, they wouldn't let you out. It wouldn't have been nice to have been someplace else besides home. <laughs> but because uh, yeah, that's probably better than Korea, though. Well, yeah, <clears throat> but, uh, it was comfortable. It's, uh, oh, I probably would have gotten out as a sergeant, but I did. I remained a corporal because I had, uh, as a company clerk, you had the choice. You know, who's, who's eligible for, you know, I, I kept passing it up because I, I want to get out. I don't. Um, no, I'm not making a career out of it. I had things on my mind I want to do in life, and I want. I had an education to, to to get after I got out of the service, and that took you know, time and money. Right, so then you got out of the service in about '53. Yeah, October '53. And then when did you? Start your own business was that? No, and I didn't try my. I went to school. Uh, I kind of 
settled around all that, you know, the winner, you know, from one job to the other. I worked as a janitor down at Polaris because I couldn't stand in line in the unemployment for $26 a week. Standing there for two hours for 26 bucks at a time, it was ridiculous as hell. Yeah, so I took a job as a janitor down at the, the yeah, Polaris building now for the winter. And then I, for a while, until I got a job at Fort Wayne, right? As an apprentice painter, or laborer on the jo job. And I think it was like that for several years, and I got a job after that. See, how in the hell did it go? I got the history written, my life history <laughs> written down someplace. And, and around, uh, I walked around here, I went to work for Weems. I was saving money to go to you know, vocational back east, vocational school. Bradley University, Peoria, Illinois. They had a vocational school which was the best in the country. And I, uh, I applied for that. And I received my okay and what it was going to cost me per month and so forth. I went to work for Weems that summer and I got it then that fall. September, I left and went to school. I stayed there for a year. The last six months, I didn't stay there because it was it was a subject I did, wasn't interested in. Uh, it's, uh, I, I took the wash repair. It was fine. I mean that part, but the the rest, the, the other course, the six months course, uh, is. Uh, Making parts, watch parts. Mm -hmm. No, when when you got through school there, you're, you should be able to you know make the whole watch movement inside wheels, everything uh, mathematically as well as mechanically. Well, I wasn't interested in that. I, and there was no money in it. It wasn't creative enough for me to. to to be interested in it, it's like taking an engine apart, putting back, cleaning, putting back together, same repetitious thing. So I, uh, I, I had learned you know, hand engraving, jewelry repair, manufacturing, the, the whole uh, uh, diamond appraisal, the whole, the whole system. Then I was, you know, working at nights, uh, putting myself through school. Folks didn't have any money. You know, it was not like, no, not, not like we're living today. You know, uh, they, uh, they were both working, but they didn't have enough. They didn't have money to put moose. Because I was over 21, so I didn't. I got $103 a month from the vets. Help, you know, uh, but I, like I said, I worked in the parking lot at till midnight. You know, parking cars for 75 cents an hour while I was going to school. Spending money, not much went for spending money, <laughs> mostly for tuition and apartment rent. Yeah. I got through about 1957, I guess.
56 56 I guess yeah spring of 56 because in 57 I went home first time I went home to see my parents uh, seven after 17 you know, being away for 17 years and I worked in the jewelry stores in town after that and how did I do? Back. I went back to school for a while. Just mostly for diamond setting and, and just more uh, for practice, practical practice, which I knew fairly well. It was very easy course for me, but had not, uh, people didn't understand, the, the, the stores didn't understand, they, they didn't have the money to pay you, which, you know, $350 couldn't get you anything in town, you have to have an apartment, uh, apartment costs you, what the heck, 200 bucks, $250, well, that goes half, you need a car, you don't that, well, you really don't have anything left, and that kind of, Money didn't last that long. So then we got. How did I do? I worked for H and S. Yeah, that was after I got out of school. I went to work for H and S Warehouse. I was here in Fairbanks. Yeah, furniture moving. I worked eight months, I think. And I, I, I was going to quit. And go back to school. I had some other some other thing in mind it was maybe I would learn some of the diamond trade and merchandising merchandising the jewelry store is a kind of a build up to what we I have today we were working you didn't in a jewelry store you learn the basic things but not quite uh, like you went in the diamond jewelry store back east, New York. Uh, you know, I, thought, I thought maybe I'd go out there for a year and see how they did. Not only that, uh, financing a jewelry store was financing, and it was uh, was the biggest problem. I mean, where are you gonna go? There isn't a bank that could touch you. Uh, you need something like a hundred thousand if you're going. Then you not have to know what to do, how to manage the store, you know, and all, all these things. You think about. But in the meantime, while we were working for H and S, met Dorothy. Uh, working for H and S. And then, what the hell? I don't know, we didn't get married till 1959. Went together for a while. And I think it was around 19... Let's see, 59, 60... Maybe it was around 1961, I think. I downtown and I opened up a little shop, repair shop. It's more like 12 by 12. Uh, had a few watches, some 
jewelry and do a repair shop and then we had um, did a lot of custom work so that's how it started in Nordale Hotel Lobby for several years until I moved and borrowed some more money to move into a food land over that that section what they call the, that sticks out this way mm -hmm. and then it didn't turn out to be there Traffic was going the opposite direction from my place, and then work. We I moved, moved, and then we we're having trouble with uh, the uh, rent uh, because the traffic was, the economy kind of dropped at that time, so so we had to move out of there. And we went and rented another place down Noble Street. And we were there for, till we, we were there, did pretty well. We, we stayed stayed above ground. Uh, we never went in debt that, you know, that we couldn't take care of. Then we moved, from there we moved to where our present location. We've been there since. Right now, where in all of this along the way did you first meet Howard Rock? Oh, yeah, let me think back now. I was in Nordale at the time. And this friend of mine that got me started in a jewelry store uh, came up. That's the, the Brown family, Javik Brown family. They had a store here. And Dick Brown, you know, introduced me to, you know, Howard came up that summer, that spring. And Dick Brown introduced me to him. Dick had moved up. He sold out his all his business and he couldn't go to business for, I don't know, no, one of those type of deals. And so he was in Camas, Oregon. And then he, somehow got hold of me and we were going to go to, into business together and uh, but too, I, had too, I had too many friends in town so don't do it partnerships no good you'll, you'll end up a, a, you'll be the loser you had people that been in business with him so I I well, we just broke up the relationship. Anyway, in the meantime, Howard, uh, I don't remember, maybe it was in May when he came up. He was going to Point Barrel, Point Hope, and Dick brought him in and introduced me. So it had been May of 61 then? Huh? May of 61 or 60, maybe it was 61. Well, it was, <clears throat> that was the first time he'd gone back to Point Hope in yeah, some time. Okay. That was that, yeah, I had the store there. That, no, no. 61 because I had the, you know that repair shop then and he went to Ponehope for that summer and that's when I, you know, I don't know letters around Dorothy keeps those things he sent me a painting around September and look not the painting picture I didn't know he did that kind of you know painting I thought I, thought, I looked good I I had a friend that was uh, 
knew how to look at a picture. I mean, she taught me that. I said, it looks good. She said, there's only one thing wrong with it. And then she said, I'm sure you can fix it. What's that? It's the, the colors don't you know, blend perfectly. What do you mean? So well, come here. And so I held it. And you can <coughs> you hold you hold the painting in front of you and you look into the uh, see how is it? You look into the mirror anyway. You look into the mirror. Uh, if the uh, the colors don't blend, it sticks out like a three D. Mm. You know? So she said, I didn't know that. But <laughs> you're right. I'm saying, well, look at yourself. That red, it just sticks out like that. So anyway, that's from the night. At that time, we, well, he came back, I sent him money, you know, to come into town. He have a show, we, I put on a show for him at the Travelers. Uh, but that was, you know, late. When was it? December, I think. I had to do all, he, he I kept him there. I would go and have a nip once in a while, try a whistle. But he, he made uh, like $2,000, quite a bit, and, which, so relieved, which would relieve my pocket because I was kind of paying his rent at the Alaska Motel uh, and food. I didn't mind that part, but I said, Howard, you're going to have to get some do something else, uh, you know, for your beer money because I can't afford it. I got wife and a kid to feed. <laughs> I, well, he understood that. So anyway, that show you know, relieved both of us for a while. That's great. Well, now that would have been then in the winter of '61, '62. Yeah. yeah. And then I know that he was involved. That spring. With, yeah. That spring. '62. Right. Were you? Um, I know that you attended that '62 meeting down at Tanana. Were you involved in planning that at all, or how did? No, I. Uh, I was against it. I think that's where we differed in opinion with Howard because uh, Madigan uh, back east. Uh, Howard, we're getting. I were getting got along real good together. But he had, he had his ambition, which I wasn't sure. You know. But then I said, oh, "It's your life. You know what you, you, know what you want to do." Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's a tough world. I don't. I'm not sure how far I want to go with it. I don't. I don't understand that I, uh, the people that uh, started ten. You know, rekindled the town not chief. I read about it. I disagree with it in the method that you know that was being planned out, which was the, you know therefore, and I didn't know how far I wanted to go with it. And I uh, and I I, I resented you know, the fact that I'm a this is my land. I'm an Indian, but I got an outsider telling, putting mouth uh, words in somebody else's mouth and. Uh, coming out out of mountain and nobody does that I mean it, I, I saw that happening 
Well, you know, and this is how they got together was Madigan and Al Kitzler, uh, that group, they were financing, and there was another one, Forbes. Right. <clears throat> okay, anyway, they were, I, I, I didn't mind their intent, uh, but I don't want anyone putting words in my mouth. I want to say what out. Uh, what is right and what is legal. Uh, I want that applied. Uh, I don't want to cause any anyone discomfort. But if this is true, so I study. Well, anyway, I guess I got in that fight with, and then William Paul. Well, hold, let me back you up yeah. just a second. Did uh, um, then that was sort of your. I've read some of those, uh, some of the early stuff about that. That was sort of your view that that Laverne Madigan was basically sort of running all that behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I, uh, I challenged them at the con yeah. uh, in Tanana. Uh, <clears throat> Morris Thompson's mother sat next to me, and oh my poor ribs, do something. They don't even ask us so what we think. Well, what was transpiring is they, Bureau of Indian Affairs brought up Xinxians from Metacatla and some from uh, the Apache uh, Nation uh, filmed about life you know, on the reservation, the beautiful homes and th this type. You know. Uh, <laughs> oh, was this the 62 or 63, no, this is, though? this is the 61 fight uh, down in Tanana. Right, right, yeah. but the, the, the very first year that they went. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the first year we had it right. there. I've got some pictures of some of that in there, but uh, anyway, that's you know how it started. And uh, Howard had these letters. And they were trying, what they were trying to infer to us is, you can get a reservation. All you got to do is write a letter, request it from so, you know, so forth, and secretary until. Well, nobody wanted to be, nobody down really wanted a reservation. We make a we make a reservation. Let's make the whole damn state a reservation. Let's get uh, let's get some something straight here. We don't want to be pushed around. We want if the Bureau of Interest is going to be here, we want to tell them what to do. And, and the fact is that the, uh, the re a reservation and a reserve, Medicatla is a reserve. That reserve, they were Canadian nationals that came over here. And that land was given to them by the federal government of the United States as a, 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 a treaty, but it's a reserve. And what you're requesting is a reservation. There, we're right back to where we started. The Bureau of Indian Affairs does this, does that, without even asking us. Right now, was was Madigan going around she was informally there. talking about this, or how yeah, did it all she, come she up? Had, well, more or less, she was there. Right. Uh, and I, I, well, Howard showed me the letter. What she wrote that in effect, hmm. and. Then I, and then A and B was there. Can't think what his name was. Anyway, I it ended up that I was a son, son of a bitch, <laughs> fighting a whole damn bunch. You know, 
A and B, uh, uh, Madigan, Kessler. Actually, telling you, Kessler wanted me out of the, you know, out of the convention hall. So I can leave. I said, these people up there aren't. Dem I said, we're demanding. You know, who the hell's running this damn thing? Is it you or her? And we're going to sit here until we find. Well, Greening was sitting there. He got everybody got kicked out. Last I saw Greening, <laughs> he was sitting in the back of the tailgate of a pickup out to the airport. So I fought him for two hours. Uh, you know, well, it was closed door then. I just want what these people want. And I didn't say, who are you representing? I said, well, geez, I'm, a, I'm an Indian, is that enough? And I said, I'm not, I said, I'm representing, I said, oh, I'm representing Alice, Alice Thompson. She's the one I would think. And she wants to know what she, we don't want nobody on the reservation. I guess we finally took conference. I said, okay, well, I said, I don't have any objection as to where we're getting the money to have the meeting, except that I want to make it clear that uh, we are running it. We want to tell them what we want. We want to know how, we want to tell them how we want it done, who to see, and so forth. I don't want anybody telling me uh, how I can do things. I, want, I can do it effectively, efficiently, and probably hell a lot better than... <clears throat> so we've been fighting the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the Public Health Service all these years, and although nobody, always somebody's, oh, they must have changed the law. Now where we have a chance that we can say, I'm not that I take advantage of Bureau of Indian Affairs or the Public Health Service. So anyway, that's... Got long down, so I. Well, it was just year year later, I, I ran for the office. So I guess that's why. Well, well now, what was what was Howard's view about this reservation business when all this started? Was well, he was kind of locked in with Miss Madigan, and so he was. Uh, he didn't he he didn't think much of it, uh, but then. Uh, Howard, uh, I said, I don't blame you, Howard. You, you, you haven't got any, you, know, you don't have a job. They're paying your way. Uh, it's like a you know, dog biting the hand that feeds you. you know. So I don't, and I said, I'm not, but I just, uh, I just want to let you know that I said, that's the only difference between you and I. The only disagreement. I said, we'll never agree on that part. Probably until you're you know, on your own. So that was where we went. Oh, we got along. We didn't. Outside of that. Well, now, that was the summer of 62, and then when did the Fairbanks Native Association get started? Well, oh, that was, that started in 61 after this, after this fight, because mm -hmm. they wanted to who I represented. I didn't really, I said, I didn't represent anyone except the people that, the one that stood up, but uh, they weren't uh, delegates. So I had a, when I came back to Fairbanks, I, uh, I, I well, at the conventional, I said, well, 
I have I have a corner of my set I represent the field Fairbanks Native Association. And I had never even dreamt that, that we didn't even have an association. <laughs> I said, well, who belongs to us? Well, there's Paul Giancarlo, Bill Carlo, uh, Bill English, and, and I named Bud Hagberg. <laughs> and the, and uh, we hadn't even formed anything. Then, you know, anyway, to shut them up. Ketzler was the main one. But... Yeah, well, they want to throw me out. That's why if there's anybody in here big enough to throw me out, that's fine. But in the meantime, I'm staying here, but you have a hell of a job throwing me out of here. Well, now, did you get down there because Howard invited you, or how did you get there? To no, I was... Uh, I uh, I went down there as more or less an observer hmm. on my own. I was, you know, we, like I said, we all pay our own way. Except that those guys that uh, ten uh, chief, they were members, the delegates that were there, the the Madigan outfit, you know, American Association of Indian Affairs, right. something like that, uh, paid their way. Well, uh, air transportation and so forth. Yeah. Right. So then you came back after that, and then I, that's yeah, when the yeah, Fairbanks I, Native Association. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was yeah, I was 61 or 62, I guess. Or 62, right. I, um, I, I got to do something about it. You know, they had, you know, they had problems, right? There was always the uh, carnival in the wintertime and march and dog racing. And the only time in the, the native got recognition you know, was when the dog raced, and that was it. The, the only in a, uh, other entertainment they had was Second Avenue. Well, not everybody had, they came to town to go down and sit in the bar and so far. So I, I guess how in the heck did that? No, well. Anyway, you no. Know, uh, I, I went to Paul Dean. Paul Dean and Bill Carlo. I got it. I got it. And I said, what do you think? Uh, it was just that spring, that, after that. And I talked to them. and said, Paul Dean, hey, it won't work. You know how the people are. I said, yeah, I don't know how the people are. They've got to, got to give them something. I suppose. About that time, Nick Gray showed up. And had, uh, he wanted, to, he wanted a statewide organization. Can you ask? Talking to me about a statewide organization, we're having trouble putting this, just the village, you know, Fairbanks together. And I don't know, some I got around trying working the business. Working as a janitor at the hotel, you know, feeding the family. We stopped in the co-op for a coffee break. Or Nick came along. Hey, I want to talk to you. And, well, it took too much time. So I got lots of work, very you know, to do. We went down a co-op. He was talking about this. 
AFM. Can't get this and that's nice, but as you know, you the Anchorage is that's all Eskimo people down there. Here, might not be too bad. So even that, as the Indians are. You have to prove it to them, and so once you prove it to them, it's good. And I say, I gotta get them together. I don't know, somewhere it's a long time. January? January. We had one or two months, but we didn't have much time. So you know what, Nick? You want to see a bunch of people together? I know how to get them together. Finally dawned on me. So we'll get them together. Need your help. So I I, I called Paul Dean. And I have I, well, I, I, I told him, how? If you're going to have a potlatch. You're doing a dog race. You're going to have a potlatch for native people only. I said, what's the admission? Uh, they got to bring something to the potlatch for, for the potlatch. Do you need to pull that off? I said, yeah, let me, uh, so I, that's where I went to Paul Dean. Uh, Paul Dean, I said, uh, would you call a bunch of people, you know, a lot of prominent people, and, and would like to have, I'd like to have a meeting with them, because I'm going to put on, I'm going to call and have a potlatch the first before you know during the dog races and then I want to uh, talk to you about what I think we should have well I said it's very easily what we do in a village okay sounds good so anyway they start okay, and so I appointed 12 women to take care of the food I mean you know, different decisions so invitation to the different villages, invitation to the dancers, native dancers. It was all taken care of in the time, time span. Uh, Eagle Hall was bulging. Was the first, you know, we only had one performance. Yeah. Oh, and then they came to the bill. Yeah. I, I had to, I, uh, community was very cooperative with it. Uh, I told them we didn't have any money, but I said, we're going to collect the money. So I said, I hope you'll, you can trust me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, okay, as long as you're handling it. They gave me the credit line, it's open for food, uh, dishes, uh, uh, whatever needed. Uh, we, we made money, I think we only paid a couple. We charged them, I think, a couple of bucks a piece, you know, besides the food. You know, just the food. All we wanted to do is cover the expenses. Uh, well, we had a few bucks left over. They had, there were people there they hadn't seen for years. They walked down the street, well, they didn't know anybody. And they had a, I think we stayed there until closing time. Tom Brower, and he shelled out 500 bucks. Just, you know, that's, 
500 bucks that was well worth it because I really enjoyed it for to help maybe next year have it again oh yeah we'll have it again next year because now we're established village we've been you know we've been told we've never been told but Bureau of Indian Affairs recognizes the villages and the chief I said I'm allowed one potlatch a year so I, what it means is I uh, share my wealth with my friends so anyway that's how Fairbanks Native Association kept on going and uh, now had you known Nick Gray before all this came up where did you first run into Nick <laughs> He just stumbled in, I think. And he, he worked over the music mart. And he goes by the store all the time. And he saw me doing all this fight, and he started stopping in. And so that's where I met Nick Gray. Juskamo. Yeah, that's what he used to call himself, I guess. Yeah. Well then, what kind of after that somewhat informal start, then did you eventually have elections and there were officers of... Yeah, after that, in the fall time, uh, we kind of let it you know, go on because uh, it took time. We had to... to uh, the paperwork and all, so I think it was... Uh, I think it was after the potlatch that uh, we sat down and uh, we had the right to write the, the preamble and all that stuff and then we went into to, to the election process, secretary, so forth. I uh, naturally was elected as the president. It ran quite a while, and I had to get off that tour. <laughs> Became so damn popular, I had you know, two, two many uh, handles between the community and the native. That, um, but it's been a worthwhile you know, project. The satellite, I was on a commission to put those things up telecommunication with a federal and state communication system. Yeah. Now, what are the what other kinds of things did uh, FNA get involved in? Were you involved in education or health stuff? Or? Yeah, uh, that was their, uh, they were, they took on that project, the education. Of uh, course, the basic reason for FNA was the part of what I already explained, right. but also to to help uh, native people moving into town transition period getting them to know where native people are in the community and help uh, and that was you know, one so but they pick, picked on one basic state project well mary jane faith and you know, all those that gone to mount edgecombe and it's, it's deplorable so, uh, what do you think we should do about it? We can't move. Oh, anybody can be moved. 
you put enough pressure on and you know, properly, then I know how to do it. It's a, at this point, it's the state constitution says the governor is responsible for your education. Everybody in the state. There's, there's where the problem lies. He's neglecting it and passing it on to Bureau of Indian Affairs because he's not costing anything. Because we don't know the difference. It's partly our fault for not knowing it, and I said, and I said uh, we're letting him go. But I said, if you want to, we'll bust it up. We'll make, we'll make the change. We'll just tell the governor that he is responsible and that the children need to be educated in this state as close to their home as possible, if not at their home. I said, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm only conveying the message because this is the message that's passed on to me by you know, members of the delegation of the Ten uh, Chiefs. This is what they want. They want their kids educated at home. I said, you know, we went for regional uh, concept, but they insist we want them at home. I said, well, fine. That's what you want. And we're only here to serve you. We, we want to do what you want, and it's, it's not our kids. It's that my kids are, I'm paying for my kids' education, and they're getting the best that I can afford in the state. He says, that's what you want? You want them? You want, I realize, I mean, I, I, I really, I, you deserve to have your children at home, educate them at home, because then you have control over them. You don't see them for nine months, you know. I said, that, that's a shame. And I said, they're not getting an education. They're, they're coming back complaining about it. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was you know, one thing led to another, and we ended up. And then the Peace Corps came along, or what do you want to call them? They, oh, the bishop. Yeah, they screwed up Molly Hooch. Mm -hmm. Now it was a case that uh, she didn't understand what was going on. They, uh, Ray Christensen, still apologized. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we didn't know what they know. I mean, it was, we had nothing to do with it, but this guy just talked her into it, and she signed it. I guess. And, she, and then he says, he, she doesn't even live here. She's down in Arizona. <laughs> Anyway, uh, she's back now, living now, but I don't know, whatever happened to her, but nevertheless. Now, in, uh, that was sort of, 62 was the first meeting, which is where all this, this uh, argument, yeah, and then, right, and then, and then over the course of the winter, there's this potlatch, and, mm -hmm. and F&A gets started, and then 1963, there's the next meeting, down at Tanana now was was that the first you know, I think it was here because no. after I got elected I no there was then the, it was maybe it was it I was don't remember. there were there were two Tanana meetings in a row and then in 1964 there was a statewide meeting here in Fairbanks yeah but well, that was yeah, that was the one we put together too right that was that apparently Howard's federation yeah. right right now what about 
William Paul Sr. When did you first meet him? Remember? Oh, when the heck was it? It was around 62 or 63, uh, around that neighborhood mm -hmm. that came up. And it was down in Nordale. He, uh, I took him. With, uh, he came up here for something. Well, he was invited up for the 1963 Tannen on mm -hmm. I know that. That's the, yeah. the first time. Anyway, he became very good friends. Um, you know, after that, uh, that fight, he handed me a book that I told Indian law, federal Indian law. Uh, He's a marshal, John Mar Chief Justice mm -hmm. John Marshall. Mm -hmm. I read that about two or three times. Been in the, I've been in, because William Paul was talking to me about it. what you need to do, young man. And you got the energy and you got the brains. And you need to do his, his land, he's tied up this land before it's all gone. State. State is ignoring. You need to lay a blanket claim. It's your hunting rights from one so forth and so on. I, I, well, gee, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I don't understand. One here who gave me that book, and you'll understand when you get through reading this. If you don't, you read it again. <laughs> this land belongs to you. It's been handed down to you. It's my grandfather, my great great grandfather, my grandfather, or both chief. My last uh, grandpa, Kriska, is ten, not chief. They left it to us. So I. Uh, We took a project every year, I think, while I was in the office anyway. Ten the members of the delegation, ten the chief. So I think we need to, I said, I've studied the laws. I said, William Paul has been advised to, to lay a blanket claim. Do you understand what a blanket claim means? Well, let me explain it to you. Try explain it to me. It means you live right here. So your trap lines, where your winter, where your summer. In other words, you from mountaintop to mountaintop, as far as you down and far up the river as you. There's your blanket claim for your village. I said, no, I can't do it for you. So I said, this is what we have to do. State is already a state. They have not even consulted you. And I said, I want to... I said, I'm not going to sleep until I do this. As long as I'm president, I said, I'll do it. Well, what about the legal thing? I said, well, there's the man sitting right there, Bureau of Indian Affairs. He's going to do as I tell him. Odin Williamson. <coughs> he was the BIA guy? Yeah. Hmm. Oh. 
That was that spring. And by January, I think. Sometime in the winter, anyway. <coughs> Bureau of Indian Affairs went out and actually went to the village and gathered all the, uh, to the villages and helped them. So, so okay. What are you waiting for? Go file it. Federal Register, blanket thing from the Canadian border to down to Mouthy, Holy Cross, Mouth of Yukon, and over. 42 villages. I file it. You know, sign it. And that was the beginning of native land plan. Now, all the heads you got today, you know, well, Morris Thompson was a young man, then he's still going to school. But the rest of them, uh, I call them, they just sit up there today in the ivory white tower and I tell them not to their face because they wouldn't, they wouldn't even be recognized as a, na a native until they smelled the money. And most of the good people got kicked out or aced out somehow. Uh, Don, Don Wright never did anything wrong. He got blackmailed, you know, uh, and I can prove that. In terms now of the way they kicked him out of AFN, I mean, how all that yeah, worked? Yeah, they, they, uh, they blackmailed him. In fact, the guy that did uh, what he got accused of uh, committed suicide. They, 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 it was a dirty trick. They, they claimed that he, you know, he took money from AFN. He didn't. The controller did. He couldn't stand the pressure. About a week or so later, he committed suicide. Hmm. Hmm. Is he a white guy? Yeah. Hmm. He was married to Harry Carter's sister, Billy. Hmm. Uh, but it was all, it was all. Uh, John Sack was the John Sackett was the head head. I didn't know what was going on because I was vice president under John Sackett from Tanana Chief. And they, uh, John wasn't there, he sent me down there to attend what they were trying to do, this uh, AF, AFN. Hensley, Borbridge, Hobson, Flory Lekanoff, I don't know, there's six of them, I call them dirty dozen. Anyway, yeah. They were all in for it in Hondor. Now, what they, they were forming coalition to control the whole state. Yeah. I intercepted letters who, who, was, who created the Ulster, Don, and it was between Don, Don uh, John Sackett, and Willie Hensley. Anyway, and I didn't know that until like afterwards. <clears throat> but I never let Don down. He he did. If anyone gets credit for the native land claim, he's the one that should get a, a true recognition. He did all the lobbying that Sackett, Winsley, Borbridge, all those got credit for. 
I know. And it was out of his pocket. He happened to have a few dollars then. After the potlatch, I was just going back a little bit. Yeah, with the phone. John came to me. He wanted me to, I think that was a year later, after the potlatch. He wanted me to uh, get him elected to AFM. So what? Uh, I know you're, you know, you're. What your brothers say about you? Because they are afraid to admit that they are afraid. But I said that's a family deal. But I'm going to disregard. But just tell me what you're going to do for your, you know, for the native people, for your people. I want to know. Because you. Uh, You, you want to be president? I, 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 I can't have a anything you know, uh, bad background. Somebody come to me and say, I'm <clears throat> but I want you to tell me why and you, know, you want to be president, what you can do for the people, what you're going to do, when, when, and so forth. I think it took two hours telling me that. Okay. At the time, I had control of the whole state as far as native votes was concerned. So, do you think you can do it? I said, well, I can count the ten, not chiefs. I said, I'm, I'm good with Ray Christensen. I need one other. Because Ray Christensen alone carried the bulk of the, the way they had the votes. But, uh, I that was in the summertime when the AFN came along. I said, well, how did it, because I was living up here. How does it look? I said, well, it looks good. I said, I, I haven't talked to them. I did tell, talk to Ray Chris, and he says, yeah, you've done good, there's just no reason for me to, uh, but he said, I got to talk to both, but you can take my word for it, so I'll, I'll go along with the ten, uh, ten uh, chief, you know, uh, the, you know, Bethel outfit, right. uh, 10,000 people, nice block, and we had, so you got any others? <laughs> I said, I just need one more. Well, you can add in the Kenai. I said, well, that's all I need. I don't know. First round, it was... You know, Bethel was hedging. You know. So I went to uh, Ray Christmas. Now, just leave me alone. This is just one young guy that's raising hell. And not understanding. So they had a caucus. To uh, 15 minutes. Ray came up and he said, come on, I'm having a problem with this goddamn kid. He didn't say goddamn, he never, Ray never says, his doggone, he says, I'm having trouble with this doggone kid. So he said, what's the matter, what's, said, don't you want to control the, that? He said, I'll tell you what about those other guys, and I, no, I said, Don, Promised me, and I said, I, you know, I can hold him to that. 
and that's it. You and the ten not chief. Kenai, we have the votes. If you you go in there as a block, so I'll go in there. As, you know, I got one dissension. That's but that's that. I expect that. I'm not counting that. And then so you got the whole. Day, you can you can control the state. This is something that you you never experienced before. And you can control the state, and you can control who you can elect. You guys are complaining about Borbridge holding that up there. And you're not getting nothing. Everything going to southeastern line. I said, that's normal. I knew that was going to happen, but you wouldn't listen. But now you have a chance to get rid of it, correctly. So they feed the one back. Down cattle. Well, you guys only by like about 13, 15 votes, right? Yeah. It's pretty, that's it's pretty close. Yeah. So anyway, that was, you know, it was uh, AFN, the beginning of AFN. AFN. Well, let me go back again for a second to uh, William Paul Sr. because I think like Don Wright, I think he is somebody that really has not gotten the recognition. Yeah, he's, uh, he does. They, uh, I don't know, I mean, that's immaterial to me, uh, why he moved, uh, he did tell me that I, one of those things that, uh, oh, that, that was fine, I heard it, but I don't remember where it was, why he moved, they say, you know, people say things, and they say the worst thing, they'll concoct it. So I just would not say anything. Well, who hasn't made a mistake in life? And who wants to hear it uh, in, uh, in a different context from somebody else that heard it from somebody else? Well, as I say, you know, uh, he came up, he stayed at my house. He was getting on in years by then, wasn't he? Well, he was 70 some years old then. And, uh, I got some paintings his wife gave me, uh, present. Uh, but he does he does deserve more you know, recognition than his own people give him. Now, did he when he was up here? I mean, did he? Um, oh, first of all, I guess how often did he come up? In those Once days? or twice a year, he always came up. You know, whether invited or not, he always come for <laughs> ten not chiefs. And, uh, whenever there's a function, he showed, you know, showed up. How was he? Do you know how he was paying for all that? I mean, he was, was he down in Seattle still? In those yeah, days? he lives in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't remember now. Uh, how. Some of it was paid, you know, by him. Most of it. They, uh, and of course, when he came here, it didn't cost him to stay here. Right. Uh, I think some of it was had to do with the university. So they, they tried to coordinate there once or twice. Uh, so then pretty much then from 63 on, he'd come into town once or twice a year then, huh? Yeah, uh, for a while there, mm -hmm. uh, then kind of you know, taste. They went, you know, after the land plane, well, then he got involved in 
southeastern Alaska. I, I went I went down and in pretty good standing with them. A and B. I think the first time I met I was invited as a guest speaker to A and B convention at Cape and it was a time, at that time I spoke need the, the educational system of our young is far below. Of course, A and B <laughs> for their directors are all Bureau of Indian Affairs employees. John Ho, Paratovich. So I wasn't, uh, except that the people, the convention people knew that, knew that, that I could, that I, I could stand up and, and speak about the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, that way in front of them, which they don't seem to be able to do themselves. Uh, so anyway, I spoke to them about the education, and we need their support, and they passed the resolution that their system was fine. I mean, they, 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 their kids were being educated in their school, but it does not apply here. So they gave us a you know, full endorsement to help us. <coughs> Now, did, did William Paul Sr. ever talk to you guys about the whole reservation thing or say how he felt about that or? Oh, he, uh, no, he, he, he never got along with the bureaucracy. Uh, uh, never, just don't need a reservation. That's, that's when it, that's why that you know the blank that land belongs to. We can administer it. We can administer it a hell of a lot better than Bureau of Indian Affairs. If we you know we stick together and, and work things you know, we can work things out these things out. It's no big deal to run the thing. Bureau Bureau of Land Management can keep all the statistics. Won't cost us anything. But then now we got trip, triple. Deal now. You got BLM, you got Doyan, you got Tanochi, and then you got the village. Well, I don't pay attention to any except the BLM. If I got a native allotment up the Kaika River, well, I go to BLM. I don't bother the rest of them. Now, was, was William Paul Sr. even that old? Was he still pretty optimistic about all this stuff, or he soured no, by then? It, I was surprised, you know, how optimistic he was about the you know, whole process. That I could pick it up and, and make it, you know, to to uh, how do you say, it, to get it started. You know. mm -hmm. He said, I, I can't get those people down in southeastern to do it. He said they they, he said, they fight me like cats and dogs. Well, I don't like to say I don't know reasons why. There was a mistrust for some reason. Anyway, they wouldn't do it. They got me to do it. We got me to do it, and then, and then the Arctic Slope, and then the, the other... They all just like... You know, well... It's just like the bureaucracy we had... Uh, you know, got that all going. That's one thing about it. Yeah. The, the the one good thing that the Bureau of Indian Affairs did, they got it going. And I reminded them that uh, the realty, Odin, I said, 
Odin do this but do it good because she's not going to be here very long because the bureaucracy is again is not you're only here as a token but if you start doing too good they're going to transfer you I, mean, I guarantee you and that was it once all that was done last I heard uh, I saw that I should have said I should have I saved it but I don't know where it's at they, uh, he was in Montana someplace. Uh, Whitefish? Yeah, Whitefish uh, Lake? The reservation up there. Mm. Anyway. Flathead, maybe. Maybe a flathead. Mm. Anyway, he was up there as, as something. Anyway, he was, he's been getting Fairbanks paper, and uh, maybe it was last year. One know. Poor Ralph Perdue, what happened to Ralph Perdue? Mm -hmm. That started all this. And read a nice long letter, hmm. but they were they, they were. They, that's just the way the bureaucracy worked. One of them started doing good. I said, "You're not gonna last long, but make it good." We got the electricity going in the villages. We got one going, and I just and they, the because he was new from Rochester, I think, New York. Someplace anyway, he just got out of the college, and he, and he was just uh, you're just bucking heads, and so you're not gonna last long. So what what does he want to do? He says well, these people want electricity, and, and and I don't have any money. He said they tell them that we got money, but they said hmm. I, they, I go to them and say we don't have any, we don't have any funds. So I tell you what you want to. You go in there. It's like me. I'm gonna. You know, I want. I'm gonna borrow a hundred thousand bucks. And I gotta get from SBA. And I get. That's all you gotta do is go down to the village and get council and you show them how to to get the money, how to put the electricity in. I said once you've done that, uh, they're gonna get rid of you. So just do a good job. But well, he got electricity in Nulara, you know, village in Nulara got electricity mm -hmm. that way. Golden Valley even went down and helped them put the poles in. No. That's how the rule of uh, AVAC got right. started. Well now, I guess the, the last thing to ask you about this afternoon is, is what you remember about that first AFN statewide meeting. You mentioned it was... Nick Gray was involved in that, or how did all that? Yeah, well, see, after the, that, and then 10 not shaved, and so forth, I, I told him I didn't, uh, I wasn't that, you know, ambitious. I, I had my hands full with, with the you know, Fairbanks community, I, on the Red Cross, and I was president one year of the college rotary. I was I well, you know, and I just I I didn't need all that. Uh, that I uh, I wasn't, uh, I, but I would help him. You no. Know. Had he moved? Nick had moved to Anchorage yeah, by this time. For that, no. Mm. Uh, in the first year, he got he called me. He says, I, I I think I got it together. This fall, we just uh, everybody coming there. For my, well, that's good. Oh, excuse me, sir. Um, so I want you there. I need a favor. I was just taking this course. He's Alfred uh, Kaloa. Mm -hmm. 
they're financing quite a bit of it. And uh, they want to hold a convention up in the Kaloa building. I think the building is above that first store. It's still there. Right over there on 4th Avenue. Yeah. <clears throat> and Emo was there. And, and, well, Emo got elected anyway. I nominated Emo. But then, I... Now, is it your impression that, that Nick Gray had sort of gone to Albert Kaloa and then sort of got Kaloa interested in all of this? Yeah. I, mean, I know they had to, Tionic paid a lot of the money. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, that's where he got, mm -hmm. got his, uh, Nick got his money. But I didn't, uh, I didn't know Alfred at, at all, you know, up until, uh, you know, I heard about the $16 million that they got somehow and, uh, I think, well, I know that, you know, he got Nick Guts and got uh, Kaloa to help him. I met Kaloa afterwards, went around, had a drink here and there, you know, spent the evening kibitzing. Just about what it amounted to. But Business was done for the day. Uh, trying to think, uh, well, what do we, what, more or less, what do you think uh, the future, you know, of what's been going on? The future is only as bright as you can make it. I say, if you're just going to dream, it's going to buy the, die by the wayside. But if you're going to make, if you start out to do something, you have to do it yourself. You have to see it through until, you know, you get to the where you can afford to get out. You can't, you, you commit yourself up to, up to that point. And in those days we had yeah, the scrape the bottom barrel to find native leaders. Because when the money came, well, you got all kinds of them. Yeah, it's amazing how that happens. Huh? Yeah, I uh, I mentioned that at the last part, uh, last time uh, chiefs meeting. You know, so a lot of there's a few of them you know that the passed away that well I I recognized the the, the people that uh, that they were responsible for the way the native people are living today in harmony with everything around them basically uh, because uh, understanding one another understanding people you, li you live with uh, or amongst. Uh, that people really responsible for out there on the convention floor, the, the old standbys. And I mentioned a lot of them. I didn't name all of them. I could, <coughs> speaking off the cuff, why well, you can't remember all of them. But mostly it's a 
the old the AFN, uh, Fairbanks Native Association, and Tanna Chiefs member. Some of them are still on there, although they, they're there just as token that they got elected, but they don't say much. Yeah, that's my uncle. He's still on there. What the hell you on doing on for? You don't say nothing. You just like the trips, huh? <laughs> Frank. Franklin Madros. Okay, well, I'd sort of, uh, I need to go do some more homework, but maybe uh, <clears throat> if I'm back up the spring or summer, if you have some time to um, talk, I want to, I want to, uh, at that point, go talk to Don Wright, because I know, um, I agree with you that the, you know, his administration at AFN was, was really critical in getting a lot of yeah, things done to, that those yeah, other guys to, didn't. I'll have to talk to him. Well, I was going to drop him a line, but... Uh, yeah, you got, he got your letter. Oh, he did? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, see, it's like all the books that's been written. And, I, and, and uh, why I didn't answer your letter, and he's the same way, is that the foundation that wrote, the book was written, that they, that they wrote, I was on the board of the foundation, that, and I approved it. But I was misled, and, and uh, you know, uh, I believe that what I'm telling you here is supposed to have been in that book, but it didn't come out that way. Willie, Willie and uh, Bob Arnold were in that office like this all the time. So you, you know, and Don has that feeling that uh, when he got your letter, well, uh, hell, you know, you already got 900 pages and uh, it's already you know, foregone in, without, that's basic reason why, I, you know, mm -hmm. I, it, it was, uh, it's on, on, it's on, in front of me every day when I'm working down there. And I didn't throw it away, but I mean, so you, well, you can, you can call and, and ask and call and call Don, just tell him to talk to me and get the, what it's for, but he'll be apprehensive because the only true book that ever came out is that one that the judge wrote, yeah. who's Judge oh, Berger. Right. <coughs> right. Well, of course, the difference is, actually, I don't need this on anymore.